Welcome to Stewardology, a podcast where two worlds collide. In this show, financial advisor Tim Russell and Reverend Drew Geisey come together to explore the intersection of financial stewardship and theology. Their unique perspectives help Christians and churches understand and apply a biblical framework for everyday financial decisions, so Christians everywhere can improve and strengthen their walk with Christ through biblical stewardship. Before we get started, we just wanted you to know that the topics discussed in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations. Investing and investment strategies involve risk, including the potential loss of principal. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities and advisory services are offered through Genios Wealth Management, member FINRA and SIPC. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Tim Russell and Drew Geisey. I'm Tim Russell. And I'm Pastor Drew Geisey. And we welcome you to episode 58 of The, the Stewardology Podcast. Podcast. Well, Tim, Christians are presented with such a wide range of conflicting information. They see ads on TV, on the internet, on radio that promote one thing or the other, and they don't know who to trust. Yeah. They don't know where to turn to, how to make decisions that won't leave them with regret. And Tim, I personally have seen a lot of things on internet I don't spend a lot of time on TV, but periodically I'm there and I see that. And I'm hearing about all these great ways for me to invest my hard-earned $10 in my pocket right now. Tim, there's such conflicting information that's out there. What, what do we do? How, yeah. do we, how do we educate people into getting them the right information so they can make the right use of what God has put into their care. So what we're seeing as, as people come into our office and visit with us to discuss um, their own stewardship, a lot of times what tends to happen is they're, they're looking out at the world they're listening to the various inputs, and and they're just overwhelmed by the sheer volume of of information yeah. advertisements. But they're also overwhelmed by all of the tragedies, all oh, of the sob stories totally. about individuals who have run a Ponzi scheme, where where they'll um, they'll they'll take money from one investor and give it to another and make it look like they're having all these wonderful returns until all of a sudden it comes out it was an entire sham. Yeah. And people are out millions and millions of dollars. They don't want to be taken advantage of. So so they're hearing all of this advice. They don't understand it all. And they know that there's risk. There are some real wolves out there. How do you protect yourself from becoming the next victim, to becoming yeah. the dinner for the wolf? Yeah, absolutely. Pastors, if you're listening to this podcast, you should be thinking about that in terms of the people in your church. How can you make sure that you're protecting your church from the wolves who would love to take advantage of a Christian identity uh, in order to to get business and fleece the flock and then move on to the next? And victim? Tim, Tim, I need to share something with you. I, I know, you know that I spend time out talking with pastors and connecting with pastors. And yeah. uh, I'd say about two, three years ago when I was out connecting with some pastors, 
in this one area, I had multiple pastors in that same area tell me, we're not interested. We're not interested in even talking, partly because- About a stewardship seminar? About a stewardship seminar with our Life Institute team, partly because someone came through that town five to 10 years earlier and fleeced their flocks. Tim, that's very real out there. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. So, so as a Christian, as a biblical steward, what are we supposed to do with that? How can we make sense of all of the conflicting information, advice, and recommendations that are coming into our, our world on a daily basis? Education is going to be the key thing, Tim. So today we'd like to share with you six rules for investing. We believe these six rules of investing are going to be so helpful that if you follow them, you are less likely to become the next meal for the wolf. Mm. They'll keep you from making decisions, investment decisions that may potentially leave you with regret. We're going to outline these six rules that we are convinced will certainly help. These are rules that we have used as financial advisors to guide our own investment decisions and recommendations. And these are things that we teach to our clients and to individuals all across the country, regardless of whether they work with us, because no matter who your financial advisor is, these rules will be very helpful in making sure that you're not making a a decision that will, uh, you know, that may, that may work out poorly. Rule number one, invest conservatively within different asset classes. It, it's kind of funny the way this this rule has evolved over time. Uh, I, I think we used to say, stay low risk. And I think there's a lot of wisdom to that, but it, it also doesn't necessarily capture the wide spectrum of reality. Mm-hmm. Because someone who is 70 approaches risk differently than someone who is 30. Correct. Right? So we need to uh, invest conservatively within the various target and demographic that you're in. So if you're closer to retirement, conservative looks different than someone who is 30. Conservative for someone who's 30 doesn't mean all bonds. It means not looking at investing like it's gambling. Is investing gambling? I've heard some people say that investing is just like gambling. Well, if you recall from our recent podcast episode where we talked about uh, GameStop and yeah. Wall Street bets, right? The whole problem I have with with Wall Street bets is actually summarized by its name. Mm-hmm. Wall Street Bets, right? Bets like gambling. Like I'm going to the casino and I'm going to play roulette and I'm going to bet it all on one number, and and I could either strike it really rich or I could lose it all, and the odds are not entirely in my favor. That kind of approach to investing, it, well, it's not investing; it's gambling. So, can you gamble? When approaching the stock market, absolutely you can gamble when Mm -hmm. approaching the stock market. But investing properly done is not gambling. And we outlined that in the previous episode. But to summarize, when you're investing, you're putting your money to work in companies that you believe will provide goods and services that make the world a better place. 
You're actually investing in the future. You're not simply uh, hoping for a quick win. You're not hoping for you know someone to you know you buy it one day and the next day they announce they're being bought by some company for you know ten times the amount of money you put into the stock. That's gambling. What we're talking about is investing wisely, prudently, not seeking investing or the stock market as a get rich quick scheme. Does that make sense? Makes sense, Tim. So those who approach the stock market with this way of playing the odds or the Las Vegas style gambling, they're not investing. They're really, they're not. So yes, you can make incredible gains over a short period of time if you take a high level of risk within the stock market. But you know what? With that return also comes a significant risk of loss. Investing done properly is is not getting rich quickly. It's a get rich slowly Mm. program. It's slow and steady wins the race. You know, all investing, all of it, there is some degree of risk. All investing involves risk. It is the risk that makes the game possible. You see, without risk... There'd be no potential of upside. Without any potential downside, there would be no potential upside. Let me give you a great example of something with no potential downside and no potential upside. Savings accounts. Mm, Yes. Especially today. You have no upside, right? Okay, so maybe you get an interest rate. Maybe it's if you're in a high-yield savings account right now, it's 0.5. That's not exactly much of an upside. How long does it take you to double your money with a 0.5 interest rate? Uh, well beyond my lifetime. <laughs> It'll take a long time. Go back and listen to the episode on compound interest. Yes. Um, but there's also no downside, right? The stock market crash and burn and you have an FDIC insured savings account. There's no risk of loss. No, there's no significant risk of loss. Right. That way. So where there is no risk, there's no reward. When you take some risk, you also get that potential reward. Mm-hmm. The question is... How much risk should one take? As a Christian investor, they should not approach investing like gambling. They should approach investing with a slow and steady wins the race mentality. Consistency over time yields results. And and we believe that's biblical, that that's the way that God has created this world, that you are to be faithful in the little things, and God will make you or allow you to be faithful in much. Mm-hmm. So trust the Lord with your wealth. Be conservative. Invest in various asset classes. The question is not avoiding risk entirely. It's taking the right amount of risks for each goal while not jeopardizing the entire amount of money. There, there, you know, There are three things that prudent investors do to manage risk. Drew, the first thing that the prudent investor does is they diversify their assets. They don't put all their eggs in one basket. And that's wise. So yeah, you shouldn't have all your, your money in Tesla stock or in Bitcoin. Um, if, if, if you have a large amount of money and you're only investing in one thing, there's no diversification. There's a lot of risk. How can one diversify? Well, the best way to do it is put it in various different uh, use use the term you mentioned earlier, asset classes and different things. I I go back to the time when 
when my son was born and we decided to put some money away for his uh, college education, instead of just putting that money away in one or two mutual funds, we actually had four different ones. We divided it amongst them. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that was wise. And we saw some some growth with some and some fall with, with, uh, sure. with another. And I think that really worked well for us in that. All right. So if, if you're starting out in investing, the simplest way to get diversification is to use a mutual fund or an ETF. ETF stands for exchange traded fund. These allow you with a small amount of money to have that money divided between, in some cases, 50 to 100 to 1,000 different companies. So that if one company goes belly up, the whole the the rest of the market, the rest of the account is also not going to follow suit necessarily. So mutual funds are a good way of providing diversification. Now, I have to provide a disclaimer here. Diversification does not eliminate risk. Yeah, it doesn't. It can help manage certain kinds of risk, right? If you have if you have two companies in your portfolio and one of them goes bankrupt, you just lost 50% of your assets. If you have a hundred companies and each company represents 1% and one of them goes bankrupt, you still have 99, right? It doesn't upset the apple cart. So diversification doesn't eliminate the risk that we have a pandemic and all companies go down together. But it can eliminate the risk of one bad egg spoiling or one bad apple spoiling the bunch. Another note here is that diversification can be overdone. So if you're a small investor, let's just say you you have under $25,000 using 25 different mutual funds, that, that could actually be a bit overkill. Sure. So you can keep it simple. It doesn't need to be over overly complicated, but a mutual fund can be very, very helpful. We're talking about diversification. We're saying it can be overdone. So, you know, if you're a small investor, you know, you don't need 15 different funds for, you know, $15,000. At the same time, some people think that they need to diversify their advisors, right? They need to have, you know, advisor for their IRA, an advisor for their joint account, an advisor for their 401k. Um, to a certain extent, there can be wisdom with that, especially if you don't trust each each one of your advisors uh, fully. But you're also missing something when when someone can come and take all of your financial picture, yeah. see how they all interrelate, make sure that you're not overexposed in one area or another, um, to make sure that it's all working together for you from a tax perspective right. and a retirement planning perspective. That's um, important, Tim, that part. Oh, for sure. So having that one advisor can be enormously helpful. All right. The the second way that prudent investors manage risk is through asset allocation. Asset allocation means that you're not just buying um, a large cap growth stock. You, you're you're adding with that international. Maybe you're adding bonds. Maybe you're adding different sectors. And Drew, I think that's what you were referring that's, to, yes, right? Yes, that's exactly what I was re- referring to. And that was such a wise decision yeah, that my father-in-law yeah. and I did back when he was when our son was born. And even when my daughter was born and we put money away because we saw some sectors just move well and others, they were just dragging their feet. Yeah. Can you explain what a sector is? 
probably not as well as you can. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. So a sector refers to um, a particular segment of our economy. So for example, uh, semiconductors are companies that make those tiny little chips that go in computers cell and phones. now cell phones and cars and crazy things like toaster ovens and your wall thermostat. They all have these semiconductors, which are like the brains of, of the computer apparatus that run the things. Well, that's become a sector of the economy. So what happens is they pool all the companies that, that make semiconductors and they'll put them together in a various uh, in, in a group, and they'll call that a sector. It's the semiconductor mm. sector. And then we can have the utility sector. That's all the utility companies. And I know or about the healthcare the sector. Healthcare, the financial services, technology. So that's what a sector is. It's just grouping, grouping. like yeah. kinds of companies together. So then uh, if you if you really believe in, say, the future of, of technology, then you might invest in that particular sector. So you know, that can be an effective way of managing some risk. But you also have to be aware if you're only focusing on one sector. Yes. And that sector goes through a really bad period of time, you're going to struggle. Think about the technology bubble that happened in 2008, 9, 10. And and we had this big bubble. And then all of a sudden, tech just plummeted. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure people were scurrying who had all their eggs in that basket. For those who were around back in 2000, 2001, 2002, they remember all of the carnage that happened when all of those little dot coms went away. Yeah. So yeah, that, that that's a potential risk. So the next thing that prudent investors do is they really, they check their time frame. <laughs> if, if, uh, if you're, you've got a 529 and your child is explain what a 529 uh, it, it is, is a college savings plan. It I knew a that government sponsored yep. college savings yes. plan. So if you have money in a college savings plan, and your student is now a senior, they're looking at this fall going to college, you may want to revisit your risk mm. inside your, your, your investment because your time frame has now gotten a lot shorter. You have to start using that money within the next year. The market's at an all-time high. Maybe now's the time to dial back that risk because I don't want to enter into the fall, need that money, and the market has a, let's say, a 30% pullback, Right, which is possible. If your student is in second grade, I don't care about a 30% pullback. That's good news. We can add more money. Right. Um, if you're in fifth grade, not the end of the world. If you're in seventh grade, again, not the end of the world. We're likely going to be able to recover, Lord willing. Um, but the closer we get to that time frame, the more sensitive you need to be about your risk exposure. The same thing is true with retirement and age. So if you are 65 and looking to retire in the next two to three years, let's pay attention to risk. We don't need to be taking the same amount of risk that we were back when we were 40. Dial it back a bit. Now, another caution here, um, retirement is not four years like college, right? Right. Um, Retirement could be 20 to 30 years. So the goal is not to get to zero risk at retirement. 
The goal is to say, I need to make it through retirement. I need to keep pace with inflation. Therefore, you still have to maintain some risk in that portfolio. That's where working with a good financial advisor can help you figure out what's going to work best for you. So, Tim, we I see here, check your time frame. And if you have a year or two before you need the money, talk about some. Talk to us about somebody who has some money tucked away, and they're considering maybe in a year or two or three or four that they want to buy a house. I mean, same, yeah. Oh, is, are, are we talking the same thing? Because I mean, should these people just put it in that online bank account and get the yeah, minimum, yeah. or should they consider? And what would be your definitive I, time? For I had that? a friend come up to me at church on on Sunday. And uh, he says, hey, hey, Tim, I've got some money sitting in a savings account. I'm going to be buying a house. I don't really know when. It could be in a year. It could be in five years. Should I invest that money? That's the question I'm asking. So the, the answer is, well, your time frame really is a determinative factor because there is some amount of uncertainty. I told him he should probably not invest in the stock market because we are at all-time highs. There are, you know, there there is a chance that if he puts the money in now, let's say he has thirty thousand dollars. I don't know how much he has. Let's say mm-hmm. he has thirty thousand dollars. He puts it in now. There's a chance it could be sixty thousand dollars, or it could be fifteen thousand dollars. Right. That's a big delta. That's a big difference between fifteen and sixty. Mm-hmm. So he certainly doesn't want it to be any less than thirty. Right. How much does he need it to grow? Um, and how much risk is he willing to take in order to make that happen? If you've got a one to two year time frame investing, it's probably not a wise idea. Three to five, you know, bond oriented to balanced is probably, you know, it's probably okay. But just buyer beware. There's risk that it could turn out poorly. So really the answer that I'm I'm gleaning from you is the key is how much of a risk are you willing to take in the time frame? Before you need the money. Absolutely. Yeah. Did I say that well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the verse I want to share with you about this, this time frame. actually, did you know the Bible talks about diversification? I did. (laughs) Ecclesiastes has this really interesting verse. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11.2 says this, divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may come upon the earth. Look, Solomon had a lot of wisdom. Sure did. And he recognized that putting all of your eggs in one basket is is a problem because we live in a world that's governed by the fall of man, mm-hmm. the curse of God for sin. Bad stuff happens. Economies go through difficulties, businesses struggle and can collapse. Therefore, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. A lot of wisdom from Proverbs. All right, Drew, why don't you introduce to us The second rule investors should follow. The second rule is you need to look for a 10-year track record of the fund manager, not just the fund itself. Oh, yeah. So this is another one that I think is um, maybe underappreciated. We tend to get attracted to um, the new and glitzy, right? If you you look at... um, podcast, uh, the, the Apple podcast, right? It, it has this new and notable section. So these are new and notable podcasts that come out that get a lot of attention that people are listening to and liking. And we have this affinity for new and exciting. And the point is that we as a, as a society are attracted to the new and shiny. 
and we think if it's new, it's got to be good, right? There's good reason for that, right? Because technology has advanced so well. We all want mm-hmm. the newest, the latest and greatest phones, yes. the fastest uh, processors, the best cameras. We want all of that. Um, maybe we want the latest and greatest cars because they're safer, better gas economy. Um, maybe they're electric and have no gas economy. Yeah. Like There are all of these things that we think the latest and greatest is just the best. In the investing world, I do not believe that to be the case. In fact, I find the opposite to be the truth, Hmm. more closely reflecting the truth. I'm not trying to throw new mutual funds or new managers under the bus. We have to start somewhere. But when we are simply attracted to the new thing, the latest and greatest, that's a guaranteed can't lose, you know, no one ever thought of this before kind of an investment or a strategy I tend to put my spidey senses a little mm. on elevated status. I, sure. I tend to want to discount some of that. I want to see track record. I want to have them prove it to me. You know, the the rule says 10-year track record of the fund manager, not right. just the fund. So right. first thing, the fund track record matters. So if you're going to invest in a mutual fund, you should see how it's performed over time. It would be nice to know. You might want to look at different years. You might want to look at what was its return during 2008? What was its return during um, March of of 2020 during COVID? Mm -hmm. That would be helpful information for you to bank in your mind. This is kind of a worst case scenario. If we head into something like that again, the fund could behave that way again. Past performance does not guarantee future results, but boy, it can certainly inform your expectations. Sure. So pay attention to to the track record, but you should also pay attention to the manager because you could have a fund with a phenomenal 30, 40 year track record and we have a brand new guy at the helm who maybe doesn't have the same kind of approach or investment chops as the former guy. So pay attention to their track record. And is there a place that somebody can go to learn this information? I mean, I know you can learn the information about the track record of the actual fund, but what about the fund manager? So admittedly, it's harder to determine the fund manager's track record than it is perhaps other metrics. But we often look at independent third-party research to gauge this aspect. And we're going to get back to what independent third-party research that we tend to favor down in point number six. Sounds good. So the the verse that I like to think about with this track record actually may be a little ironic, but it's 1 Timothy 3.6. He, it's talking about an elder now or a candidate yes. to be an elder, he must not be a recent convert. He must not be a young guy who is a recent convert who hasn't proven himself. Look, if, if we believe this for the church, that you need to have some kind of a, of a pattern of behavior that we can look to for an expectation of how you are going to be in the future. If you've been recently converted, we don't have that track record of a redeemed lifestyle consistent through up times and through down times. You know, we have that parable of the seeds, or mm-hmm. parable in this case, actually it's parable of the soils. I think that's the yes. better phrase. And some soils, the seed doesn't take root and mm-hmm. grow firmly or well-established. Right, And we need to see that it works out. I, I think the tr- same is true in the investing world. You need to see some amount of track record in history. 
Well, look at number three. We've already spoken about two of these rules. And then the third rule is reduce or avoid investing in sin stocks. Yeah. So, Tim, explain a little bit more. I know we touched on this on in episodes 35 and 36, but explain a little bit more what you mean here. Yeah, we did two episodes on biblically responsible investing and looking to minimize or avoid exposure to or investing in companies which profit from an anti-Christian worldview. Maybe they make products or they they profit from services that are in areas that Christians probably ought not to be involved in. Maybe they 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 profit from tobacco, alcohol, gambling or gaming, pornography and abortion. If this is not something that you are are welcome and free in Christ to engage in uh be, because of maybe it's a clear violation of sin or it's a constant conscience issue, you should probably pay attention to your portfolio. Are you investing in, are your funds being used to promote that which is antithetical, opposite, in opposition to the Christian worldview? A couple verses here that uh, we like to think of. Drew, why don't you introduce those to us? Yeah, the first one is 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, so wh- whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yeah. I like what that word whatever means. I think it's encompassing. Mm-hmm. It means whatever, yeah, everything. everything that yeah, you do. Everything. And then in Proverbs sixteen eight, it talks about, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. You know, that's a really interesting verse. It is. And I think that's so helpful. But I also want to caution, I think some people think, There is a common misconception that being, um, quote unquote, biblically responsible in one's investments automatically is going to lead to a lower return on investment. And the facts simply do not bear that out. Yeah, you've been doing BRI models and work yeah. for years yeah. now, Tim, and you can speak directly to this. So our expecta- our our experience has been that the performance has been right in line with the overall market. You can still maintain a biblically responsible portfolio and and receive what the market provides. So you don't have to necessarily give it up. Although it's an absolutely true verse, and even if you had to give up some. It's better to do that and maintain your character and your your standing, your righteousness, than to give it up for just financial profit. Whatever you do, you do for the glory of God. That's right. That's right. And then also Ephesians 5.11, it says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So that would be a great verse to say, you know what, I'm not going to pour my hard-earned money, my investments yeah, into those yeah. things that are going to create more darkness within the world. And then in Matthew 25, 21, it says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. I love that verse. Yeah. It's good stuff to think about here as we we talk about avoiding sin stocks. So if you're following along, we've had three of the six so far. Number one was be conservative. Number two was look for 10-year track record. Number three was avoid sin stocks. And number number four four is 
Keep it simple. You know that KISS principle? Oh, yes, I do. Keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) This is a true principle for life. Are you familiar with Occam's razor? I am not. Occam's razor may be a a good summary of its its position, and some of these scientists may may differ with the, the various wording here. But in a nutshell, it says, oftentimes the simplest solution is the best. Okay? We have the tendency of overly complicating things. My dad tells this story once. Uh, I was I was in this meeting with him. I was young in the industry, and this engineer came in, and he says, I'm ready to retire, and I'd like your help to manage my money and to do, you know, to, to get through retirement. And he's all excited. It's like, I've got all my spreadsheets and, and charts, and he sets it before my dad, and and he hands them like the stack of, of you know, the old paper spreadsheets yes. where it's actually like pen and paper filling it out. And it's pages and pages and it's like, it, you know, put two or three together sideways, right? And you get to see the whole scope of things. And he's looking through all of the numbers and he's he's trying to ascertain with this massive, complicated chart, okay, what do we have? And he looked at this guy and he said, where's the rest of it? He's like, what, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm looking through this, and I see you've got a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit over here. You put it all together, you're probably looking at less than $100,000. Where's the rest of your savings? What are you talking about? That's all I have. And, and this gentleman was so impressed with his own spreadsheets, his own complicated charts and the way that it's grown and, and praise God, it's grown. He's, he's really striving to manage it as well as he can. He allowed complexity to, to, to get his eyes off of just the simple reality mm. of his situation, which was he was about to retire. All he had was social security. I think he was looking at $2,000 and he had nothing else. Wow. Nothing else to live on other than the the, the $100,000. And sustainably, it's really hard to generate uh, repeatable, dependable income on just a small amount of money. Now, for those of you who are younger thinking $100,000, I can't imagine having that much money. Well, h- hang on. <laughs> if you're consistent over time investing in, and, and properly stewarding that money, it, it will grow to and beyond $100,000. I personally am I'm convinced of that. Now, it's not a guarantee, but that's just consistency. We just did an episode on compound interest. Yeah. Yes. So um, don't let $100,000 intimidate you. It's actually, it's not what for this gentleman, it just wasn't enough. For some people, it actually is because they have no debt and they're in such a low cost kind of a retirement situation where they can get away with that. Mm-hmm. It's not for everyone. All right. So keep it simple. Any investment strategy, any investment technique that is overly complicated, that is not easily understood by the investor should be avoided. A couple a couple uh, data points here. Number one, fraud is typically perpetrated by presenting very complex strategies that are so difficult that they cannot be easily understood or, or they'll say it's so complicated. You'll never understand it. So I'm not even going to try. That's what Bernie Madoff did. Yeah. He said, so my strategy involves shorts and, you know, short selling and doing this and doing that and doing options and 
you know, and I make money on the spread and I do this and I do that. And, and people started to glaze over and he, he really never got into any specifics. He never really showed full detailed reports or statements. And all the time he was basically living the nice fat life of a fat cat while stealing the wealth of these people and perpetrating one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in American history. So if you can't understand it, don't invest in it. If the advisor or the salesman cannot explain to you in simple language what's going on so that you can understand it, avoid it like the plague. Mm -hmm. Complexity does not mean gains or profits. Oftentimes, I have found the opposite to be true. Simple is usually better. Don't be intimidated into making investment moves that you don't understand. Take your time. Understand the process. If your advisor doesn't have the heart of a teacher, you should probably run the other way. And that's important, Tim, because a teacher will try to explain things in an easily and understood way. It's not like, well, this is how I do it. Just trust me. Am I right yeah. in saying that, Tim? Yeah. So there's a there's a balancing act here, and, and I I really do feel attention because I I have clients who just trust me with everything, and and I so value the level of trust that they have with me, mm-hmm. but I never want to discourage them from asking questions. And and I always welcome them because I really want them to understand yeah. at least enough information for them to say, yeah, I get what's going on. I, I see how it works. I don't need to do it. And I'm glad I'm not doing it. Here, Tim, you just handle that. Um, but there, there's, there's, the, there's a difference between trust. You need to trust your advisor and asking questions to get enough information. The things that honestly do drive me nuts sometimes. I have, uh, from time to time, individuals, uh, engineers, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but God has created you in such a way to have a very inquisitive mind. And praise Jesus, our bridges stand because of that inquisitive mind. I love that God has equipped people differently. But sometimes when I have um, these meetings with, with individuals who are more on the engineering mindset, they get so deep into the weeds, they miss the big picture. And they need to have a little bit more trust and and focus more on the big picture than the nitty-gritty. So there's a there's a balancing act we have to we have to manage here. The other thing I want to tell you about here is look, one of the reasons you want to keep things simple, you might be able to understand it, but what about your spouse? Mm, good. So, so someday the Lord may call you home before your spouse. You may understand it, your spouse may not. So maybe what you should be doing is keeping it simple enough for your spouse to to understand it and or making sure you're working with someone who has the heart of a teacher who can walk alongside of your spouse when the Lord calls you home to make sure that they understand sufficiently what's going on so they're not overwhelmed with both grief and trying to wrap their head around a new investment strategy. All right, so the verse that we like to talk about here is from Proverbs 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Mm, Good one. You know, you can have 
a lot of really great ideas and come up with some wonderful spreadsheets and um, these really complicated charts and, and graphs. And there's an element to that that's good and right. But do not trust in your own wisdom to get it right all the time. I, I, obviously, I'm a financial advisor, so what do you expect me to say? Yes, work with an advisor. Talk to someone who you trust who can help give you that, you know, a different picture of what's going on so that you know if you're missing something. Uh, number five. Drew, why don't you introduce that? Well, before I introduce it, I'm just going to let you know I'm going to go burn all my spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm not going to let you see them. So they're gone and out of here. But I no- love spreadsheets. I'm not anti-spreadsheets. Yeah. So number five is minimize or avoid surrender and redemption fees. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I want you to understand the way the financial industry works. I, I sell insurance. I also sell investments or I offer investment advice and earn a fee. Mm-hmm. Okay. In those scenarios, generally speaking, the longer your money is tied up in a particular investment, the higher the commission for the salesman, the higher the redemption penalty, the higher the commission. Hmm. So there are two two things. It is lock up time frame, penalty to get out. Right. If you have to put your money away and you can't you can't take your money out, you can't change your mind for let's say 5, 7, 20 years. Right. That's in part because the person who sold you that particular product just walked away with a I don't know, it could be anywhere from 5% up to 10 or even more commission. 10% commission. Friends, if we have a $100,000 investment and you make a 10% commission, what's your payday? Cha-ching, $10,000. Thank, thank you. It, is that recommendation for that particular product in your best interest or the salesman's best interest? Well, for me, so, for sure. As, as the salesman. Salesman, yeah. So, so you really need to be cautious about redemption penalties and surrender fees. They are unnecessary in many cases, they can absolutely be appropriate in various situations. Annuities, for example, annuities are notorious for having these crazy redemption penalties. Some annuities are worse than others. It is possible to get an annuity with like a, a one-year surrender penalty or a three to four-year surrender penalty, maybe even a five-year. Those are fine. In certain circumstances, it might even be appropriate to go up to a seven-year surrender penalty, but you need to be aware. Buyer beware. These are situations where you're buying an income guarantee, where you're you're not touching this money ever. You're going to turn it into income, maybe a pension replacement in the future, and you have no intentions of changing your mind whatsoever. You, again, beware. The salesman who sells you that annuity is usually making a commission, and it could be a nice commission. Just be aware of that. That's not to say they're bad or evil. They can be. They can be awful, but they're not always. Um, this is not a, a episode to get into all of the evils of annuities or the, the benefits of annuities. It's another tool in the tool chest. It is. It is a tool. Uh, it, oftentimes, however, f- when it comes to this particular point, they are abused. Yes. Because they can become incredibly lucrative to the person selling them to you. I have come across annuities with a 20 year surrender penalty sold to an 80 year old client how awful that's elder abuse i I mean 
I don't know why those are even legal to be sold. Yeah. In many states, they're not, but apparently in some states, they are. It's absolute travesty. Avoid them like the plague if you can. Keep your money liquid so that you can change your mind if you want to. Work with a fee-based financial advisor who can give you help because they're, you know, they're they're committed to your success. If you change your mind, you are free to take your money and go. They have to continually keep you happy. One of the things about these annuity salesmen is they'll sell you an annuity, but service after the sale might be non-existent because they already earned their commission. They aren't getting paid to offer service, so they're on to the next um, person to sell a product to, off to the next commission. And that's why it's important to consider someone who's fee-based and yeah. because then their goal is to help your money grow. And as your money grows for you, yeah. then they get that increase also yeah, because and, of that, that small fee that they get out of that. And, and with a fee-based advisor who's, who's able to look at the various options, they can look at what strategies would actually fit in your best interest. Yes. So they can see whether or not an annuity might make sense in certain circumstances. So- They're not evil products. They just need to be used carefully. So number six is use independent third-party research. We we just shared that moments ago. Tim, give us a good illustration of this. There are companies out there. uh, One good company that many people look to is uh, Morningstar. So Morningstar.com offers some really good unbiased third-party research. They research all of the, the universe of mutual funds, stocks, bonds, ETFs, even annuity sub accounts. Uh, if you have the right subscription, like they'll, they'll tell you all of those things. Uh, oh, there's a lot of information that's entirely free to the public and some information's behind a paywall you have to pay to get a hold of. It can be really helpful because it tells you the manager, how long he's been there, if there are multiple managers involved, or if it's just a one-man shop. So that's how somebody can know a little bit about a manager, a fund manager, but it's more so through their advisor. They, they The advisor, if they're making a recommendation, can provide to them nice. snapshots of the different funds so they get an idea of what's going on. So if you're currently working with yeah. an advisor and you want to know about the, the fund manager, speak to your advisor yes. if you have one because they can get that information for you. Yeah. Um, So, you know, think about this. A landlord, if Drew, if if I was a landlord and your daughter came to me looking for an apartment to rent, Mm -hmm. I could ask her, have you ever bounced a check? Are you good with your credit? And she's going to tell me, oh, no, no, I've I've never had a problem in my life. Or I can go to mom and dad and I can ask them, hey, how's your daughter? Is she trustworthy? Oh, she's the sweetest thing forever. She's the nicest person. She's never, never heard a fly. She's always honest, integrity and all of that. And you know my daughter. I do know your daughter, actually. She's she's a gem. Um, But people can lie and deceive. Can you really trust them to be telling you the truth? Well, in your daughter's case, I think I could. But when I was a landlord, I never took the tenant's information at face value. I always verified it with a credit report. I went to a third-party, unbiased authority and said, hey, XYZ person is looking to rent. What's their credit like? And they show up with, you know, all these collection accounts and slow payment history on credit cards and, you know, high degree of debt with a low degree of income. And I start shaking my head saying... Nope, this looks like a not safe risk. No matter what they told me, no matter what sob story, you know, there could be good reason for that. 
you always have to pay attention to what the independent source says. And that was money well spent on the credit report. And when it comes to investing, the same thing is true. Be careful not to buy into slick sales pitches. If if you have an investment that gives you a nice glossy presentation that talks about the wonder of their investment product and process and how they're the best thing since sliced bread, you know, we need to discount that a little bit. Of course, they're going to say that's marketing speak. They're trying to get you to buy something. What you need to know is what do other people say about it? Maybe look at reviews from other customers and people who they've worked with. Look at information like the morningstar.com to get additional information. These things can be enormously helpful to make sure that you're not being abused. Look, there are maybe two little sub rules that you need to keep in mind when this independent third-party research friends if it sounds too good to be true it probably is so if that slick sales pitch says you know 10 percent, 20 percent, 30 percent guaranteed year over year no risk run the other way no such thing has unlimited upside with no risk you can't have your cake and eat it too without risk there's no reward if there's only reward and no risk it's a scam. Yes. It is a scam. But number two, if it sounds too horrible to be true, it probably is. <laughs> so uh, I have clients and individuals talking to me uh, uh, in the community or, or, or sending me emails and they say, hey, I just got this email that says Joe Biden's going to steal my IRAs and my 401ks and you know the, the dollar is going to go to zero and, you know, I need to be aware. I need to be worried about this. I have all this money tied up in retirement accounts. Should I be afraid? Of course, they're asking that question because they are a little bit. Yeah, they're a little concerned, and that's understandable. I get that. But who's putting this out? You know, this one email I looked at. First of all, at the bottom it said, you know, Joe Smith, you know, such and such gold company. I'm like, hello, head palm. They're selling gold. They want you to distrust your IRAs. So they want you to get out of your IRAs and put it in gold because they think gold is going to be safer and Joe, Joe, Joe Biden's not going to be able to come in and steal your gold. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. I mean, for crying out loud, if he's going to steal your stuff, he's going to steal your stuff no matter where it is. Right. You know, gold's not the safe harbinger that the you know, safe harbor that you think it is. N- number two, when it, when they're, they're just sensationalizing this, it's, going to be a scam. It's just a scam. They're breeding fear and they're trying to get you to make a fear-based decision. And what what happens when we make fear-based investment decisions? Usually they're the wrong decision. Yeah. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So Tim, as we look here with using independent third-party research and as you kind of wrapped it up that way, there's a great verse that I think kind of ties not just this, but everything that we've just talked about together. And that's Proverbs eleven fourteen. It says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Yes. I think that is a great verse when it comes to investing. For those people that don't know and understand the world of investing, which I know I had knew nothing about it prior to my son being born and sitting with my father-in-law and learning from him. He had kind of had the Midas touch. Anything he touched turned to gold. 
it was one of those amazing learning parts for me. And I learned much because he learned much from others. And it's important for people to get the guidance, get the counselors around them, the financial advisor or advisors or team of advisors around them because there's safety, because there's conversation and there's learning that's there. Absolutely. So very important. So as we kind of wrap this up here, I want to just share a a couple conclusion points. And that is remember your goals. Make sure your plan accomplishes those goals. And then set up a plan and be disciplined to stick to it. Stay the course. And Tim, I know you share that often with people. Consistency over time leads to success. So, Tim, any other final thoughts? I mean, I know you covered a lot of ground. This is your wheelhouse. This is where you live. Uh, Any final thought or two for our people? Remember these six rules. If you follow these six rules, you are less likely to be taken by scam or investing your funds in a way that's haphazard or carefree. So, uh, number one, be conservative. Number two, look for track record. Number three, avoid sin stocks. Number four, keep it simple. Number five, Minimize redemption penalties, surrender surrender fees, and number six, use independent third-party research. We want to encourage you to send us your questions and and thoughts and comments to stewardologypodcast.com forward slash idea. And then also take advantage of our free personal stewardship reviews. You can take your next step from even for becoming an even better steward. How do you do that? stewardologypodcast.com forward slash review. And again, visit our website. We we have some really helpful resources that are there and some more episodes and some other things we're adding to that. Monthly, we are adding things to that. So we want to encourage Check you. Check out that website. Stop by stewardologypodcast.com. All right. Until next time, God bless. And don't forget to trust the Lord with all your heart. Thank you for joining us on the Stewardology Podcast, where financial stewardship and theology meet. We'd like to help you take your next steps in biblical financial stewardship. First, subscribe in your podcast provider to get the newest episode delivered to you every week. Next, follow us on social media and visit our website at stewardologypodcast.com. There you can find our social media links and our entire episode archive. Remember, Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See you next week on the Stewardology Podcast. Securities and advisory services offered through Genios Wealth Management, member FINRA and SIPC.